porch. I don't know if you can tell, but this is summertime in Southeast Houston, uh, so Southeast Texas. So uh, we're happy to have you with us. We're so excited that many of you are joining us for conversation and prayer. Um, and I would ask you one favor. Would you just stop right now and share this video? Would you just touch the, the share button? And as you do that, would you pray? Just take a moment to pray that the Lord would use our words through the power of the Holy Spirit to move someone uh, to a place of greater healing and freedom. Would you pray that for us today, for those who will be listening in the future? Um, so thank you for sharing that uh, with others today. So last week, we talked about vine and branch union with Christ and the power and the nourishment that uh, we receive when we are connected to the Father. We talked about the three things that really come between us and that union with Christ, and that's the world and the flesh and the enemy. Uh, we also acknowledged that this union really only takes place when we can fully surrender ourselves to him, uh, which we all know is a challenge for us because of our flesh. So this summer, I have chosen to go back through a Beth Moore study uh, called Living Free. I'm just giving you a glimpse of this book. Um, we did it as a group of ladies about 15 years ago, and it was really life-changing for me then. And I have just really enjoyed the power of this study for my own life this summer. And so um, I just felt like the Lord was encouraging us to share some of these really important thoughts that Beth has built into this study as we follow up on Union with Christ. Uh, so I, I hope that you will uh, really listen for these. It's so important uh, for what God has desired for us. So Beth builds this study on what she calls the five benefits that God intends for his children. And these are really gifts for us. Um, so today we're going to look at three, the first three of those gifts, and then we'll finish the last two next week. So we've been talking over the last few weeks about strongholds and how to demolish them. And strongholds are a reality in our lives. Everyone has them. We can't escape them. And so we really have to join in the fight to bring them down and then to replace those places where those strongholds were with God's word in our hearts and in our lives. So through the battle, through this battle of taking down strongholds and replacing those places with God's word, um, we really start to understand our need for Jesus and unity with Christ. As Cindy was saying, we talked about that last week. And these things come by spending more time in prayer and in the word, seeking to know Christ and to understand his ways and his power, right? We change our focus from what's wrong with me or can I do this right? And we really start to look and have a complete focus on Jesus, what he has planned for us um, and his kingdom work. It's not about us and our work, it's about him and his work. So we take our eyes off of ourselves and we, we fix our gaze on him. So stay with us as we briefly share um, these three goals today and the other two next week. And so in her study, Beth says, God gives these gifts to every believer. They are snapshot pictures of what he intends for us to become. They are five glimpses of God's heart. Mm. Isn't that a great thought that we get a glimpse of God's heart? 
The first of these gifts is to know him and to believe him. So we go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And that verse says, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. The easy part of believing God is that when things go well, we have no problem acknowledging what God can do. But when things are hard, many times we blame God or we pull ourselves away, we disconnect from him. So listen to the words of, the fa of this father who brought his son to Jesus to be healed in Mark chapter nine. In verse 22, the father says to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus replied, if I can. And he goes on to say, anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, and some of you this will be familiar, a familiar passage, I do believe, but Jesus help me overcome my unbelief. That's where we need to be because that acknowledges our need for him. So listen to this. If you struggle with this, listen to this. Jesus is not asking us to believe in our own ability to exercise unwavering faith. We are human. He's not asking us to do that, but he is asking us to believe that he is able. So a thinking point for you. What difference do you think it would make in your life if you could intentionally seek to live in vital union with Christ where you would come to really know him and to really believe him? Let that be a challenge to you today. If we come to that place of knowing him and believing him, then we will rarely come to Jesus and ask him to help us if he can because we will know. We will just know that he is able. So today I want to pray a passage of scripture from Ephesians over all of us. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll be praying the verses 18 through 20. So would you pray with me? Father, we pray that our hearts will be flooded with light so that we can understand the confident hope you have given us, those you call your holy people. You call us your holy people. And may we recognize the rich and glorious inheritance that you have freely given to us. These gifts that we are talking about are a rich inheritance. We also pray that we will understand the incredible greatness of your power for us who believe in you. And to believe and know that this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and then seated him in the place of honor at your right hand in the heavenly realms. So Father, today we ask, help us with our unbelief. May we come to a place where we live in fullness with you. We, we desire, Father, to be in that place, to know you, to understand, and to be confident in the power of your Holy Spirit in us. And we pray these things in your powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. So the second gift and goal for our lives is to glorify God. Mark 4, 19 shows us our 
default thought life when we aren't being purposeful in pursuing uh, spiritual things or we're not fixing our gaze on Jesus. This is kind of our default thinking mode. It says, but all too quickly the message, which is the gospel, is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. When we begin to grow in our union with Christ, when we become Christ followers and then grow in union with Christ, uh, we have a desire to please Him. We, we have a desire to live our lives the way He wants us to live, and our thoughts become centered on pleasing God. But as we see here in Mark 4, um, we have a fleshly desire to, and that is, is to please ourselves. And so even when we're trying to please God and we, we think that's our goal, sometimes we're, if we're not careful, it's still about us, right? We, we become concerned about what a good Christian we are and all the right things that we're doing and all the wrong things we're not doing. Um, and then this can produce in us spiritual pride. Um, and spiritual pride is the opposite of glorifying God. So in the study, Beth kind of talks about how some of us think that we just have such low self-esteem, there's no way we can have pride, right? Um, but low self-esteem, pride is not the opposite of low self-esteem. Pride is the opposite of humility. So we can have pride sometimes that masquerades itself as low self-esteem. C.S. Lewis says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So we all struggle with pride. We all think about ourselves way too much, whether in a positive way or a negative way. And, and, and that pride can be an obstacle in allowing our lives to glorify God. Because God is glorified in anyone who he is allowed to show himself great or mighty. So again, his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. So we live a God-glorifying life by adopting God-glorifying attitude. And that comes from a place of surrender. As Cindy said, it's the same thing. We need Jesus in order to glorify him. We can't do it in our own strength. So again, in this study, Beth challenges us to take a moment and imagine what our lives would be like if we were completely free from self-glorification. What would that look like in your life? Let's pray. Father, we come to you with our desire to please you and to glorify you in our lives. We understand that our own works are like filthy rags before you, but in Christ we are righteous. We ask your spirit to fill us and empower us to glorify you. We confess the idol we make of ourselves, and we renounce any spirit of pride that's in us. Lord, we pray with Isaiah 26, 8, that says, Lord, we show our trust in you by obeying your laws. Our heart's desire is to glorify your name. God, so as we eat and as we drink and in everything we do, may it all be for your glory. We want to make you recognizable in the way we live our lives. And we can only do that in your power. We humble ourselves before you because in our weakness, your power is known. Amen. Amen. The third gift we'll talk about today is finding satisfaction in God. Beth says, God desires for his children to find satisfaction in him. The satisfaction that is complete and lasting and soul quenching and emptiness filling. Can you feel that? To have that kind of satisfaction. One of the true perils of today's culture is that many of us live in discontentment. Um, it rules our lives in so many ways. So, and that comes out uh, just because we're always looking for the next best thing, um, the next new thing, the, the new miracle diet, the latest smartphone, um, 
just anything that pops up that we think, I think I need that. And that creates some dissatisfaction in us. Um, and I just wonder today, if just for a moment you can feel that. Um, because the waves of dissatisfaction can just roll over us. We can be fine one moment, and then we get on social media, and we see something. It can be anything. And suddenly we feel that bit of envy or dissatisfaction in us, and it gets stirred up. Again, looking for that thing. Somebody else has it, maybe I need it. My neighbor got a new car, maybe I need one. A bigger house, bigger toys, whatever those things are, they grab us and they, they take our focus away. We literally wind up living in the entanglement of the comparison trap. That's what happens to us. We compare ourselves to other people um, and then we are stirred into dissatisfaction. So another thinking point, what things have called out to you? What things have called out to you that have created a sense of dissatisfaction in you? Uh, these things only appeal to our flesh. And so 1 John 2, 6, 16 says just this, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. These are from the world. So this is a, a big statement. At the very core of this satisfaction is our dissatisfaction with Jesus. Now that's a hard statement to say. Uh, it would be a hard statement to admit to. But somehow we neglect or set aside this gift that he has given us through the power of the Holy Spirit, this gift of satisfaction. And instead we turn and look for other things. We feel an emptiness, we search for other things. So. Again, hard to hear that we might be dissatisfied with Jesus, but only in the sense that we are neglecting to receive this gift of, dissatis of satisfaction. I think one of the places in the scripture where we see this dissatisfaction most clearly is with King Solomon. He had everything. He was a powerful king. He was wealthy. He was wise. He had everything anyone could want in this life but he didn't find satisfaction in any of them. So let's look at his words that he wrote in Ecclesiastes 1, verses 2 and 14. It says, Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Meaningless implies a worthless emptiness, futility, all of those things um, that just make this such a sad statement for for Solomon in his life and for some of us in our lives too. Um, it's just a, a condition of our souls that that is not where God wants us to be. It's not the gift that God has for us. So ask yourself, does Solomon's example challenge any of your assumptions, like the belief that you'll finally be happy if only you can achieve the next goal or buy the next item or lose enough weight or whatever it is? Um, so today we've seen that the obstacle to knowing and believing God is unbelief. The obstacle to glorifying God is pride. And the obstacle to finding satisfaction in Jesus is settling for satisfaction in anything else. And God calls this idolatry. 
anything that we try to put in the place where God belongs is an idol. And I know that's hard to hear. I know it's getting personal. Uh, we don't think of ourselves as having idols, but we do. Um, so the most obvious symptom of a soul in need of satisfaction is that sense of emptiness. It's that awareness of that hollow place that's deep inside of us, and it's the inability to be satisfied. That should be a caution light, a flashing caution light to all of us who believe in Christ. When we get to that place where we just aren't satisfied ever, then that, is, that should cue us in that, that we need to return back to Christ. Um, we also need to understand that our soul is empty, that when our soul is empty, dry, and hungry, it can manifest itself in physical ways. So maybe we become more irritable or angry or selfish or we have more impure thoughts or envy or resentment or a lot of other things um, that just spring forth from this place of dissatisfaction within us. So caring for our soul means that we can identify these symptoms as a spiritual need. Uh, when we feel that, we go straight to the spiritual need rather than searching for other things. We pay closer attention to our soul needs. And when we do that, we turn our focus back to the Lord and away from those things that we think would satisfy us. or so those idols that we have developed in our life, we all have those, I promise, all of us. Uh, but David recognized his soul needs. In Psalm 63, we're gonna stay in Psalm 63 for just a couple of minutes. Uh, he cries out to God in Psalm 63, verse 1, O oh God, you are my God, and I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. David was acknowledging his need for God in that first verse. And I am confident in saying right now, that we all feel like we are living in a weary and dry and parched land. Uh, we are tired of a persistent virus. We are tired of hearing people say, wash your hands or social distance. Or as I say to my husband every morning, do you have your mask? We add to that the sadness of lives lost in racial tension and anger overflowing in the face of social injustice. And may I just say to you that racism is not new to this world. It has been here since the beginning of time when sin entered the world. Racism was born out of the evil heart of our enemy, Satan, out of his desire to steal, to kill, or to destroy us. And the disease of racism is not terminal. Jesus came to bring peace to all nations. He came to peoples of all color. And he wants to say to all of us, I created all of you, I love all of you, and I died for all of you. First John is very clear on how we're to live out our lives as Christ followers, even in this dark and weary and parched land. He says in, in chapter one, verses five through seven, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
It's a powerful passage. And these are crazy, dark, hard days. But Jesus is the answer to the depths of our weariness that we're feeling. He is our healer. He desires to bring healing to all that this world needs. 1 John encourages us to be a light bearer in this dark world. May we be the light. It feels dark and it feels heavy. But I want to look at verse 2 in Psalm 63 because David acknowledges his need in, the ver in verse 1. But then he says, many of us need to say this along with David. I have seen you in your sanctuary and I have gazed upon your power and your glory. I, that just moves me because we have seen what God can do. We have seen him restore. We have seen him heal and we've seen him move powerfully among us. But this is the problem we have. We forget. We forget and to live in satisfaction in Jesus, we must remember. So I'm going to take just one moment and ask you to just remember some ways that God has moved in your life. Those things that you have pushed aside in your times of hard difficulties and darkness and heaviness. Could you just remember a couple of things that God has done in your life? I'm just going to take a moment of quiet and give you that time to just remember. So as you have remembered a way that God has moved, would you just whisper a thank you prayer to him right now? Just thank him for those ways that he's revealed himself to you. And would you join me in verses 3 through 8 of Psalm 63 as David then wraps it all up and concludes his need for God, his knowledge of who God is and what he can, can do. He has seen him in his power and glory. And then he goes on to say, Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. I just encourage you to go back and read that portion of Psalm 63. It is so encouraging to us in these difficult days. But, but God has offered us these gifts. And we need to receive those. And we, we receive those when we grow closer to him, when we nurture our union with him. And so as we close, I would just encourage you to consider what idols you have in your life. What has become more important to you than Jesus? What have you placed in the place where Jesus should be in your life, in that important place? And then would you just take a moment to admit your need for him, just as David did? I feel like I'm dry and parched in a weary land, and I need you. Like uh, Psalm 43 says, As the deer pants for water, 
I long for you. Um, I pray that you would allow him to satisfy your needs in the dailies of your life. He, he's interested in those moments of your life. Cry out. Just say the name Jesus. Acknowledge your need for him. And I pray that that would bring you to a place of contentment and satisfaction, even in the midst of craziness in this world. So let me pray for us. Lord, you are our God. We earnestly search for you. Our soul thirsts for you, Father. I pray that our whole body would long for you and seek you. We would reach out to you even in this parched and weary time. We acknowledge that we have seen you move. We have seen your power. We have seen your glory. And we thank you for that, Father. And I pray, Lord, that we may walk in the light as you are in the light. I pray that we would find this place where we pursue knowing you, where we pursue desiring to glorify you in our lives. And then finding that place of sweet, sweet satisfaction that only you can give. I pray this over all of us today, Father, in the powerful name of Jesus. May you be a light bearer this week. Have a blessed week. God bless you.